Welcome to Higher State of Being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren. And I'm Teddy Rocklin, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast, together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Hi, I'm Kat Cogren, and welcome to Higher State of Being. And with me today is my co-host, Teddy Rockland. Teddy, how are you today? Hey, I'm really good. How are you, Kat? I am awesome. And our special guest, I am so excited about today's podcast. How about you, Teddy? I am very excited. I don't (laughs) think we could be starting off better than with Lisa. Without further ado, welcome Lisa Wimberger of the Neurosculpting Institute to our show. Hi, Lisa. Hi, it's so great to be here. I know we need some fanfare. (laughs) And the crowd cheers. Love it. it. So, so Lisa, real quick, tell us what the Neurosculpting Institute is and how you got started there. Oh, loaded question out of the gate. Um, So the Neurosculpting Institute is a brick and mortar and a virtual online institute devoted to getting people really powerful guided meditation and brain entrainment skills and practices to support their capacity to deal with trauma and stress and uh, their stories, their limiting stories. Um, How I got started in this is as I think many people get started on their mission and purpose in life is through personal trauma, personal need. Um, I had a lot of physical trauma that my nervous system was not dealing with. I had underlying emotional trauma that my nervous system wasn't dealing with. And the journey through that led me to create neurosculpting, which then led me to be on my mission in the world, which was to share that and then to teach people and to have a private practice and eventually to have an institute. Wow, that's awesome. So one of the things that we always start our podcast off with is why. Why are we discussing this? What's, what is the purpose of talking about neuroplasticity? Uh, Teddy, you want to start us off on, on the why we chose this topic today? I'll start off on the why we chose the topic, but I definitely want Lisa to explain the neuroplasticity because, frankly, she has been one of my greatest teachers. I'm thrilled that you're here, Lisa. Um, Neuroplasticity, of course, um, neuroplasticity is uh, basically in extreme layman's terms. Every time that you have a thought, it fires uh, basically an electrical impulse through the gray matter of your brain, your your electrical system, your nervous system. Um, Every time you have that same thought, that same expectation, that same idea, that same habit, 
it basically forms a groove in this gray matter of your brain, thereby making the next time you are, are faced with this situation, the same thought's going to be easier, the same habit's going to be easier, the same expectation's going to be easier. And through the use of active neuroplasticity, through the exercises that I do with my hypnotherapy, Lisa does with her neurosculpting, we do with... Um, any sort of meditation, shavasana, deep prayer, what you're doing is you're allowing yourself in a calm state to rewire your neurocircuitry. You give yourself the option of while you're relaxed and feeling safe, thinking about a different way. Maybe I could try it that way. Maybe I could look at it this way. That lays new groundwork. That lays new pathways in your brain. And the more you repeat those suggestions, those possibilities to yourself, the deeper you make that groove and the more likely you are to actually change your behavior, your perception, your expectations. Would you phrase it differently, Lisa? That was perfect. I learned <laughs> like, it from you, babe. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to say to that? That was perfect. Um, I would just say, you know, everything we do in life um, gets easier, better, stronger, faster, more efficient we do it. And the more we do uh, the negative patterns in life, the same thing happens. So everything about us acts like a muscle would in a gym if you were to exercise it. it gets more efficient stronger better faster and so the the self-directed neuroplasticity idea is what do you want to intentionally make better stronger faster and easier to do and that actually is subject to your intention but a lot of us don't know what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis underneath all the conscious chaos and noise that is actually bringing those negative patterns to the gym when we're not even aware of it. So that's the only thing I would add. I mean, you said it perfectly, Teddy. Thanks. So negative patterns, positive patterns, thoughts, negative, positive, they're reinforcing that just like if you're doing push-ups or setups, you're building those muscles physically, but that same process is happening every time you say, oh man, I can't do that or, oh, yes, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What you guys are also saying, if I may paraphrase, is you can switch that negative talk into a positive reinforcement and have the opportunity to make a big change. Yeah, and more than that, because this is not just about positive affirmations. Uh, sometimes that doesn't work for people. Trying to switch a negative to a positive is ah. one way for self-directed neuroplasticity. Another way is to look at the negative pattern and how the body is responding to it and start changing in almost microdose kinds of ways the body's response. Because not everybody can go to a positive thought and have it be plausible to their nervous mm -hmm. system. In fact, most positive affirmations for people in deep trauma worsen the situation because they come with an expectation that everything should be better just because I changed this to a positive and that's not how the nervous system works. So there's so many layers to self-directed neuroplasticity. There's creating and cultivating new patterns and a lot of those are generally considered to be positive new patterns. Then there is altering the existing negative pattern in small ways to make it manageable which may not feel positive up front, may feel so micro-changed that you don't notice a positive anything for quite a while, but you notice a slight shift, a little more space. Uh, anxiety lasted five hours instead of eight. Um, sleep lasted five hours instead of four. 
it's it's micro changes that actually in the nervous system are the most plausible, the most sustainable, the most effective. So I would really caveat uh, the the idea of turning a negative into a positive, although that is a massive component. So it's more incremental, more detailed. It's like one of the things when we were talking earlier was like learning to play the piano. You don't just think I can play the piano and then you can play the piano, right? Is that, are we kind of in the same realm there? Yeah, incremental change is sustainable. Large, massive scale change is often not sustainable, even if it feels positive, because we then have to get busy creating all the roadmaps to hold the change and that's massive energy for the brain. And it's very easy then to slip back into the familiar because we're drained from having to create new roadmaps. So large grand scale sweeping change, like the kind of things you might decide after a motivational weekend, you might decide, oh, I'm gonna stop doing X, Y, and Z. That's usually not sustainable because they're, the, the changes might be too big. The brain needs the safety of roadmaps and scripts. Right. And and so we we don't really talk about the pill that gets rid of everything. We talk about the small little pragmatic exercises. Interestingly well, enough, I would say that um, sometimes the big changes do happen quickly. But I would agree with Lisa. In most cases, it's best because the law of repetition is really significant. The law of repetition is very, very real. As I was saying, the more frequently you have that thought, the deeper the groove's going to get. Um, sometimes there's a situation that will cause a before and after effect, but those do tend to be rare because there's nothing, nothing, nothing that the subconscious mind is more motivated to do than repeat the familiar. We only fear the unknown, like we talked about in the intro podcast. So repeating these these expectations, these uh, potential experiences makes it more likely that that is going to be a new lifelong pattern. You never lose your ability to do what you used to do. You just choose not to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So neuroplasticity, we're talking about this kind of like we're jumping ahead of what it can do, but what is it? Give us a definition, if you will, of what neuroplasticity is and, and what it even means. It's just science's term for learning, the capacity to learn, and learning equals to science adaptation. So if you were to learn something, what you're doing at the brain level is you're changing the structure and function of your brain. You're changing the structure of the neural maps that are encoding that information. You're making them bigger, broader, and more uh, potentiated, meaning they can fire faster. So that's the structural change. You're increasing gray matter, you're increasing white matter, you're changing the volume through use. So structural changes in the brain. Functional changes mean those networks work faster and they're more automated versus having to take a lot of effort to churn them. So learning is synonymous with neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity means we can influence the structure and function of the brain, which then influences all of the behaviors, the perceptions and even the physiological responses that come from those structural and functional changes. So it's just fancy word for I can learn and I can adapt. And we can do this at any time in our life? Pretty much we can do this 
um, until we no longer are alive. Uh, at some points, it's easier and faster than others, and it is all subject, of course, to lifestyle and health and nutrition. It's going to be a lot harder for someone with Alzheimer's to fully access their neuroplastic capacity than it would be for, you know, somebody who is at their most optimal brain age and health and resilience, but it is possible through daily practice in some capacity at any at any point in time. Well, let's let's hold that thought. I do want to come back to neuroplasticity across the lifetime. But let's let's talk about the results. What happens when you consciously go through a you know an, an undertaking of this? Well, it depends on what you come for, right? So if you want to neuroplastically change your self, your negative self-talk, then what happens is you have to put in daily practices to work those stories, um, to soften them, and then to entrain to new ones. And what can happen is your perceptions of yourself and your, your own self-worth, your own potential, that can all change. What can happen at a physiological level is unlimited. So for instance, if you have an ingrained trauma pattern that is causing chronic pain and contraction in certain muscles, uh, and let's say the injury itself has long ago healed, but the pain pattern is still there, well, there is room for you to go in and neuroplastically train your brain to change the structure and function of that pain pattern so that you can mitigate pain you can mitigate inflammation uh, to some degree. You can mitigate, well, what, what we've seen is that we can actually bring movement back to quadriplegics and paraplegics. Uh, we've, we've had an ongoing um, few case studies at the Institute where we've seen movement in fingers and toes after 10, 13 years of paralysis. Um, not because we healed the injury, the physical injury, but because we've worked on the subsequent mental patterns that contributed to continued paralysis. Amazing. So miracles, basically. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, but but neuroplasticity yeah. is a miracle. Mm -hmm. It is the yeah. It is the wonder of, of the human brain for sure. Teddy, what what results have you seen from this from your practice? Oh boy, talk about a loaded question, huh, Lisa? <laughs> everything, everything, everything down to um. Changes in relationships, um, expectations. I've seen people who had codependent relationship after codependent relationship, and now they they understand what boundaries are because they've, they've reframed their expectation of what relationship should be like. I've seen people recover from addictions that are generations old with the expectation that, well, my father was an alcoholic, his father was an alcoholic. Well, that doesn't mean you have to. Um, I've seen lots of people uh, get relief from from pain, lots of people relieved from pain. Um, sports improvement, one of my favorite examples is a, a gymnast that I used to work with. Um, should I share that now? Yeah. yeah you wanna yeah, hear yeah, about my, my little gymnast girl? All right, because yeah. of confidentiality, I have to leave names out of it, but you've heard of her. <laughs> if you followed the <laughs> Olympics, you've heard of her. Um, so I was working with this young woman and she came in and she was practicing her routine. Um, 
And she got to this one point where every time she did it, she would fall. She would like stumble over her own left leg. It was a bars, an uneven parallel bars routine. And every time that she would go through this drill, it was the same mistake over and over and over again. And I thought, well, we could approach this a couple different ways. Why the left leg? Is it something to do with her feminine energy? Why the ankle? Is it something? But I decided instead, let's just handle this on a more... Um, symptomatic level so she was she's still pretty young and she admitted to me that she still sleeps with the stuffed animal so I had her do this get in a very relaxed position she's reclined in my in my office and she was going through this this exercise mentally through her mind see yourself doing this see yourself from the outside see yourself as if you were up on the ceiling what would it look like if you were up at the ceiling what would it look like if you were watching from the doorway what would it look like if you were wearing a purple frilly dress what would it look like if your teddy bear was doing it? What would it look like if your teddy bear was doing it in the purple dress? What would it look like if the teddy bear was doing it in the purple dress but backwards? What would it look like if you were doing it backwards? What would it look like if you were doing it backwards in slow motion? What would it look like if you were doing it forwards at the right speed, forward in slow motion, forward at the right speed, forward at the right speed? And we repeated this several different times, several different ways, because her subconscious mind was going to latch onto one of these ideas with her. Turns out it was the stuffed animal in the purple dress. Needless to say, she went to practice that evening, had no problem, did it again, no problem, did it again, no problem, did it in her major competition and rocked it. So that's an example I think that Lisa can probably relate to. Um, well, you Things, do, you know, you hear those sports stories uh, yeah. where a visualization, I mean, and I even do it in my, my sports is like, I mm -hmm. imagine the cyclocross course in my head, riding it perfectly, seeing it through all the mm -hmm. way. And I might ride it in my mind, you know, a dozen times before I ever get on the course on race day. Sure. And it's just really takes out that, okay, here's the challenging part how would I ride that? And I'm reinforcing that in my mind, what my body needs to do. So that's just the same, the same concept there. Sure. This figure of speech, if you believe it, you can achieve it. I'm not buying that a hundred percent. I am not flying to Mars this afternoon. Um, <laughs> maybe because I don't believe it, maybe because I don't know how, but, um, I think that the uh, with the use of of neurosculpting, hypnosis, meditation, whatever name it is that we're going by, these neuroplastic exercises, if you don't believe it, you're not going to. And if you do believe it, you significantly increase the likelihood because believing that it's possible is the beginning of laying these neural pathways for your brain. Absolutely. And I would add that this is a way to get into flow state, like for your gymnast. So oh, here's yeah. why. Yeah. If you're in a situation that you either have negative scripts about or no scripts about, your brain is either resting upon a foundation of, I believe something will go wrong and I know exactly where it's gonna happen, or I have no idea how to navigate this, so I have to spend so much of my resources pre-planning, even though it's in the moment and now I'm not present. Right, right. But if you have a script, like Teddy was suggesting, you've rehearsed it, like you even experienced, Kat, when you rehearse it, your brain then has a foundational set of things it does not need to create in the moment so it can give your energy for you to be present, which gives you the probability of being relaxed or focused or in a flow state, right? So, mm -hmm. so really I think what we're talking about, I, I would translate what Teddy said and say, you have to believe it. I agree with that a hundred percent. And I would also say another way to say you have to believe it is you have to have created some 
script or sense of familiarity around the concept. And then your nervous system's like, oh yeah, that's there. It's a little bit of a reassurance um, that you could use your focus to actually be present in the moment. So circling back to the question of neuroplasticity across the lifetime, that concept, um, we all think of children. They're learning, they're little sponges. You know, mm-hmm. I see my my kids, my grandkids, they're just like soaking it up so fast. My I have a brand new baby uh, granddaughter. She's almost three months old and just watching her watch you talk and she's just moving her mouth and her, she's just focused on, on that. You know, she's, that brain is just neuroplastic all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what it's like for childhood and then teenage and, and, you know, as we, as we mature, how does it work across your lifespan? Well, obviously we're most neuroplastic when we're infants. We have more neurons than we're ever gonna need or use. And we're just soaking up and inputting information and trying to make the associative links between that information and how to be alive in the world and then how to be social in the world and then how to know things. Um, Then when we get to teenage years, we actually start pruning back some of those neural networks and we actually start pruning back some of the extraneous ones, trying to create somewhat of a model of the world that we can rest upon as the foundation. And this generally um, maps to why teenagers think they're right, why there has to be a right and a wrong, why there's such a fueled passion around a stance and a cause for life, like you can see this very easily in teenagers because they're actually editing down and trying to establish a concrete foundation of some sort. And then um, generally by the time we're 25-ish, we're extremely poised in our mature capacity to be resilient and focused and adaptable. And then of course, if we eat right and sleep well, then that kind of lingers through life, that that real rich potential of change. And then what we do in our lives can downgrade the neuroplastic potential. Are we experiencing multiple uh, crises and traumas that then make us rigid and stuck? Are we getting poor nutrition so that the brain is a bit starving and now re- um, relying on its more efficient primitive processes so that they become dominant? Are we not sleeping well and compromising the restoration and repair that the brain needs to go through to have the resources to be adaptable? Um, Are we surrounding ourselves with a social environment that enhances and increases a rigid stance, a black and white view of the world? These are all things that play into plasticity. And then are we doing activities for ourselves throughout our lives that keep our brain open to new learning? Are we learning new hobbies, new languages? Are we doing puzzles? Are we using the brain in a problem solving manner? Are we in skills acquisition throughout our lives so that the skills acquisition part of the brain stays awake, alert and used? So it it all plays into it. It needs that exercise too. It needs that continual conditioning, mm-hmm. if you will. So, mm-hmm. so things like working puzzles, reading books, taking up, like you said, a new hobby, a new sport, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of that plays into keeping that neuroplastic part of your brain or 
is your brain mm -hmm. alive and well, no matter Absolutely. how old you are. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You're basically practicing not doing exactly the same thing that you always do. You're basically practicing novelty. One of the things that I, I have learned from spending time at the Neurosculpting Institute um, and learning with Lisa is what's going on in the brain with the, the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex. Basically, anytime that you're having the experience, conscious or unconscious, of you don't know what to expect, you don't know what's familiar. You're going to go into a form of fight, flight, freeze, anxiety, depression, procrastination, emotional paralysis. Oh, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect. So you go into what's your limbic system, this uh, this reptilian brain, where you're going to be basically in fight, flight, freeze. Through doing these exercises of, I don't exactly know the answer to this, but that's not a scary thing. I don't know what's going to happen. And I can still remain very calm. I don't know if I might fall off my bike, but I do know how to take a good fall. It's basically setting yourself up for, I don't know what's going to happen and I am safe. I'm not going to react to what is actually right. a safe and or secure situation. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the unknown at this point because yes. I yep. have trained for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess taking up a new sport every five or six years, like I tend to do is a good thing then, right? It's a great <laughs> thing. It's a great thing. And now you've got multiple sports in your back pocket. That's right. That's right. Uh, sometimes I think, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? But it is a good, I <laughs> for your brain. It's you know? for your brain. It's for my brain. It's for my brain. I will tell that to my mom the next time she asks me, "Why are you doing this at your age?" <laughs> <laughs> because I still want to rock that red dress, mom. That's true. right. That is true too. <laughs> so I want to I want to bring something full circle here. We talked about you know neuroplasticity as a child, and that you know you're at your peak there. But so many times we get a really negative thing, you know, imprint, trauma, you know, as children. And then that comes back up as an adult. And I, I, I know both of you probably see quite a bit of that. How, how do we, how, do, how does it work to, to help overcome those things, that, that childhood trauma, something you learned in your very neuroplastic state? And now you're an adult and you have to deal with it. Um, I think uh, both neurosculpting and hypnotherapy have amazing approaches for it. So for neurosculpting, what we would do is help the person identify how does the body pattern itself around that active thought. Is it changing your breath? Is it contracting your muscles? Is it causing a twist? Is it causing speech patterns? Is it causing mental dialogue? We, we get the person really um, aware of, oh, when I feel like this, I raise my voice. Oh, when I feel like this, I get that thing in my chest. So first we get them understanding brain and body are speaking. They're part and parcel of the same thing. And then we have them decide where can they hack in? Can they take some body practices and change their body response when that thought comes up, breaking the body link to that pattern? Or can they go in at the thought level and talk to the thought and edit the thought or soften or file down the sharp edges of the thought? And we have them go back and forth between body and thought and body and thought because those two things are kind of linked together. And so if you wiggle one side out, 
then you can maybe wiggle the other side out a little bit and eventually you're kind of wiggling them out with enough space that they can now start to settle around subtle shift. We don't want to pull a piece out like Jenga because then while it might feel cathartic, there might not be that those familiar scripts and now I'm totally exposed and I don't know how to do this. So I quickly go back and try to put it all back together. Instead, we do this like little wiggling it out kind of back and forth so that during each moment of space and perceptual change, the person has time to settle in and find a new familiar. And Teddy, from your practice, tell us a little bit about how that change happens with the hypnotherapy. Sure, sure. I would say it depends as much on the person that I'm working with as, as any any therapist is going to approach it differently. And I approach it differently every time with every person. But one thing that comes up very, very commonly, especially when dealing with trauma, with past trauma, something that's current is very different. But something that's past, I'll have them notice you're safe here now. You're safe here now. Now, bring up this thought. Don't play through the whole scene. We don't need to relive the whole scene. Um, but just bring up bring up the thought of it. And then notice exactly where your body is resting right now in a very secure place, in a very safe space. Every sound around you is very normal. Now, bring up the thought again. And notice, again, that you're very safe and very calm. This is called circle therapy. Um, bring it up. Notice you're okay. Let it go. Bring it up. Notice you're okay. Let it go. Bring it up and maybe you don't notice it so much and then you notice you're okay and you let it go and basically desensitizing it by the fact that here now in this present moment the person who did that to you is not in the room the car that hit you has been crushed 20 years ago whatever it was that caused this trauma is not present here in this moment so you get present like I said, you never change, you never lose the ability. You can always go back. You can always remember the trauma, but it does not have to have the the, the physical, the psychological, the somatic um, impact that it had at the time that it actually happened, which is not now. I feel like that's that subtle wiggling out piece. That that mm. is, it's why I've always responded to to sessions with you, Teddy, because it's such a um fam similar approach that makes me feel safe and comfortable and with neurosculpting we're always encouraging going back to safety and comfort so that the nervous system is a little bit more receptive mm -hmm. and the body is a little bit more regulated that said if i can interrupt whatever cat was just going to ask with another question i think it'd be valuable for just a moment if you can explain tre yeah, TRE is tremor release exercises, and we have a certified trainer at the Institute who teaches that. They're my favorites. So that is the process of just not even really addressing anything at the thought level, but just using the body to process and complete trauma patterns so that you no longer have to keep doing them. So basically, whenever we're in stress and trauma, there's gonna be some kind of contraction response in the muscles. And if we don't process that trauma, the contractions stay, creating a baseline functioning for muscles and skeletal system, and then even the, the way the heart and the lungs support that kind of contracted state. So with TRE, uh, created by Dr. David Burselli, what the person is taught is how to fatigue the large muscle masses in the body so that they go into almost like a lactic acid fatigue and they will start to tremble 
And those tremors are actually neurogenic ways to recalibrate. So they start to ripple through contracted muscles and muscles start to release not just present time contraction, but stored contraction patterns. And you may find um, ripples moving through the entire body and not have a thought as to what they mean or why. Or you can have memories come up and out as certain contraction patterns start to activate and then release. And then when you're done, for me, um, TRE feels like getting into a hot tub and my whole body just is soft and melty. And it's one of my favorites for, well, for myself, but also for people who it's just a little too scary to go to the thought level. It's just too scary. And so we just stay at the body level, which ultimately affects the thoughts and the perceptions anyway. Sure. Sure. It reminds me of, um, I, I live uh, where there's a lot of wildlife and I'll see situations such like um, a fox is chasing after a rabbit. And if the fox doesn't chase the rabbit, and once the rabbit realizes that the fox is gone, it just jumps and shudders and shakes and it leaps into the air and it shakes its entire body because it's getting out that, that nervous energy that, I'm, oh my God, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then it calms down and it gets back on with its little bunny life, making more bunnies and eating my flowers <laughs> and stuff like that. But to watch them shake is what, that's what reminds me of the TRE that we're doing. We need to dance more, ladies. Oh, I agree. Totally. Totally. Amen. <laughs> Amen to Amen. that. That's how we trimmer. <laughs> uh -huh. Some people, yeah. Love it. Love it. So on the normal day-to-day -day neuroplasticity, what, what are some of the benefits of really paying attention to this part of your life and not just going through the motions every day? And especially as we get older, we get up, we do the same routine, we go to work, come home, make dinner, do it all again the next day. What what is the benefit of really staying active with neuroplasticity? Well, number one, if you stay active with it, it stays working for you and easier to access. And if we go through life as an automaton, then we are reinforcing a ton of patterns we're not aware of, uh, wondering why we still sabotage ourselves, uh, feeling victimized and unlucky or uh, even targeted and and if we bring awareness to our neuroplastic capacity then we are always always in a state of potential change and that's where the magic is the magic of each moment is in its potential to turn into the next moment but if we're always focusing on the old moments through default patterns or the future worries, then we're, again, we're missing the present moment. We're missing that flow state. And so staying intentionally neuroplastic, even if you don't have trauma or limiting beliefs, sets you up for a richness of life that is quite, quite different than the automaton. Sure, sure. I mean, if you have kids, you've got to be adaptable. And if you live in a world of technology, you've got to be adaptable. And if people are moving to and from your neighborhood, it really makes your life more enjoyable if you are able to adapt and and perceive and, and react and respond in ways that are, are most beneficial. If you always do what you've always done, probably going to be dealing with a lot of frustration, a lot of stress, because the world is changing around you, whether you're changing or not. So that adaptability really does help you create the life of your choice. 
I like what you said, Teddy, is respond. So that's the difference between react and respond. React mm -hmm. is off an old automated pattern. Respond mm -hmm. is off the needs of the moment. And they may look the same in certain situations, but the minute you have a present time opportunity to respond differently, if you haven't practiced response, and awareness and intentional neuroplasticity, then instead you're just gonna react and you may miss the entire meaning of the moment. Anything else you'd like to add, Lisa? Any last minute words of wisdom, nuggets that we have? You know, I feel like, I don't know if this is a nugget, more of just a, a mental platform I like to stand on, which is none of us are broken. None of us is a broken body or a broken being. We've got cracks, we've got traumas, we've got histories, but because the brain is neuroplastic, to me, that is the definition of hope. Because if I can access that plasticity through my own practices, however small and simple, then I can adapt around my history, my gender, my ethnicity, my economics, my trauma, my victim experiences, I can adapt around them. I don't erase them, but they don't have to define me tomorrow. So for me, I don't believe people are broken. Wow. So neuroplasticity is hope. That is our hope. I love it. Ooh, for me, that's, it's part of one of the formulas in my book is that neuroplasticity equals hope. Wow. You have a couple of books. What are the, what are your books? I know that I have the first one. Yes. I have new beliefs, new brain. I have neurosculpting a whole brain approach to heal trauma and rewrite limiting beliefs. Those two are in print and in, on Kindle. I have four audiobooks on audible. All of them start with the neurosculpting title. And then I have a kid's book called the monster under your bed is just a story in your head. <laughs> Love it. And we'll make sure that we have access for our listeners on the uh, podcast website. Teddy, uh, give us your closing thoughts on the topic of neuroplasticity. Um, this is, I would say, the most valuable skill that you can learn in your lifetime besides exhaling. And exhaling mm -hmm. is part of it. Um, if you if you understand that you can change your perception, your your expectations and your behavior, you can change the life course that you're going to be taking your trajectory and if you always wish you could or you always wish that you were able to or you always wish you could stop you absolutely can no one can do it for you there's not a pill there's no guru who's going to come along and wave their hands over your head this is how you do it and it gives you your power back yeah but you have the power period plain and absolutely. simple we all do we all do absolutely everybody does amazing all right this has been a fantastic podcast I, I love it that it's our first it just is a it sets the stage for everything we're doing at higher state of being um, with that said be sure and check out higherstateofbeing.com you'll find all our podcasts there access to our guided meditations and so much more Lisa thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure Teddy always a pleasure always thank you so much thank you Thank you. Thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. 
visit higherstateofbeing.com.